It's happy hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's neworleans.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limousine or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you. Because that's New Orleans and this is happy hour. A cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common. Other than we're all New Orleans in a bar today, we're at the fabulous Wayfair on Ferret Street, which is home of the Rosé, the perfect summer drink made with dry rosé, vodka, St. Germain, Peixos, bitters, lemon juice, and a house-made strawberry basil syrup. And if you want to come on down and enjoy happy hour here at Wayfair, they have a happy hour here between 3 and 6 every day. And if you're out and about on the weekend, this weekend, which the dates are, does anyone know what the date is this weekend? It's like the... 7th and 8th or 9th or something like that, 9th and 10th. John, can you help me out? It's the 7th and 8th. Yeah, the 7th and 8th. 7th and 8th Pride June. weekend as well. It's so. Pride weekend. Yep. Okay, it's Pride weekend and it's Creole Tomato Festival. Okay. So only in New Orleans would Pride weekend and Creole Tomato Festival be Good. at the same time. So if you go down to the Creole Tomato Festival slash Pride weekend and you find Dutch Alley, you can find the Bloody Mary thing. There's a festival of Bloody Mary makers down there. All right. And if you find Bridie, if you ask for a person named Bridie, who's making Bloody Marys. If you look behind you, they're making like thousands and thousands of Bloody Mary preparations here. Oh, I thought they were just eating. Like, no, <laughs> I thought they were eating olives. I, like, they they, I, I don't think they're eating them. I think they're putting them in drinks. So they're making all these Bloody Mary mix things for, uh, for this Pride Festival, Creole Tomato Festival. So if you go down there, tell them you heard it on Happy Hour, they'll give you free something. I think it's a free Bloody Mary, actually. So keep that in mind if you're down there. Hey, listen, today's show has been brought to us. Is it over yet? <laughs> yeah. I, so I think like we did a pretty good show. Yeah. Jonathan Freilich is here, one of our favorite musicians in the whole of New Orleans, with his guitar. And Dr. John Sawyer is here. How are y'all doing? I'm good. Now, I have to introduce you as the co-director of the Cognitive Disorders and Brain Health Program at Oshner Health Systems. That is right. That's it's your helpful. actual title. Yep. So, I'm a neuropsychologist. Neuropsychologist. Okay, Jonathan, have you ever met a neuropsychologist before? No, I've met several brands of neurologists for a lot of bizarre reasons, but never. Because you have brain problems? Uh, no, but other people do. Luckily, uh, I've known some people who deal with people's brain problems, but, oh, not, wow. but not John Sawyer. Yeah, but jo- so you don't have anything wrong with your brain whatsoever that yep. you know about? Listen, you know, you don't want to trust your own brain to tell you whether you have problems about That's your own brain. That's a good point. That is true. <laughs> well, maybe we can ask Jonathan some cognitive questions and just discern if he has dementia. There we go. Well, yes. And Karen, what am I, hell is your real name? Candy. <laughs> what am I calling you now? You can call me Candy. Candy. Yeah. Okay. I used yeah. to call you Karen I Candy Tap. Yes. And now I've stopped calling you Karen Just call and me stopped candy. calling you I Candy. <laughs> and so now you're just Candy with a K. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what is your, is that what you're going as now professionally or? Yes. Just Candy with a K. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what does your like husband call you? Karen. Oh, he calls you Bay. Bay. <laughs> Bay. B A E. B A E. Okay, but your real name is still Karen. Yes. But your professional name is Candy. Yes. And so, what? So I, I was because like I kind of merged it. I kind of merged the whole you know my eye candy thing with my model name. I I just made it to Candy, shortened it to Candy. So that's easier for me when you call me. Not, well, other people call me Candy. I know where you know me from. Versus if you know if you call me Karen, I'm like okay, it's probably. You know, I know you personally somewhere. <laughs> okay. So so I should stop calling you Karen because that would make it look like I know you personally, which I really don't. <laughs> well, we've known each other for years. I've known years. you a long time. <laughs> you, this is your third time on Happy Hour, I believe. Yes, and you were yes. in the very, very so beginning much. when we were back at the Columns Hotel before long they kicked us out of there. Right. And then right. the next time you were on was here, I believe, at, yes, at Wayfair. Yes, here a few years ago. Right. It's been a few years ago. It has been a few years. And then I saw that photo of you that they took here mm-hmm. that day all My over Facebook. Photo. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> photo of you. Well, maybe Jill will take another favorite photo of you. It'll be all yeah, over Facebook. Yeah, I use it for my okay. business cards. And so, so now you're doing, you're doing a new show yes. called Cocktails. Cocktails and Candy. Cocktails and Candy. Yes. And Cocktails is spelled K-O-C-K. T-A-L-E-S. T-A-L-E-S. Yes. So what is the deal with that? That was what got me worried when I saw Okay, so remember the last time we were on the show, I was talking to you about my um, platform called Dating Dating Eye Candy. Dating Eye Candy. That's when I was single at the time. And I'm sure we all can relate. We can go, for the first time, go on dates. You know, there's always some kind of issue you have with the person or whatever. It didn't go right. Um, Or, you know, whatever happens on a date, right? So all I did was complain (laughs) all the time about, like, my dates. 
So it became like a big thing where like I started vlogging, and it was um, where other people can relate to relationships. So what instead I started doing was. Um, yeah, good idea. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I started uh, talking about different topics in relationships and the issues that people come across when they're dating or in a relationship, married, divorced, or whatever. So then everybody in the audience started to engage with me because people can relate. So since then, I started my own podcast, and then it just got, you know, it just kind of got. Bigger. What was your own podcast? Your own podcast was about dating. Probably. Yeah, the same thing. It was dating. And it was based on it was. Same thing. Right. It seemed to be a lot of guys who had sort of um, fantasies about dating you, as appeared to me. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that was correct? I don't know. <laughs> really? That's what it appeared to me. It appeared to be mostly guys yeah, when who I was had single, designs on dating you. And I used dating I in a I guess. euphemistic so then, uh, sense. So then I created, uh, and then I made it into a reality show. So I made it live versus just. Right. Uh, just the podcast we're just talking about because right. a lot of people like to interact with me. So we made they it do. more into a, a, a live reality show where people have um, each episode's a different topic. Like uh, our first episode, we talked about side chicks and about dating what? people. Side chicks. Side chicks. <laughs> what is that? Some girl that you're fucking who's not your main. Right. Okay. Is that a whole thing? Does, do a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, apparently have... it's like a. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a thing. And yeah. it's become a, it it's become be a trend, side almost. Chick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And do you approve of this? Are you? No. Um, no. Personally, I am not very fond of side chicks, but the show is to show <laughs> different perspective on different topics. It so, sounds like, like you're not being judgmental about it, though. I'm not. Not for not for the show. It's as like as an executive producer, you have to think about the audience. Like you, you're, you should give valuable and information and perspective from other pe- real people that's right. going through these things so like it's like the girl is a side chick in the show in real life she was a side chick and so she talks about how she became a side chick and what it was like to be one have you ever how- been one no no well, at least not that i know of right. <laughs> like- <laughs> jonathan have you been a side chick i've been a side chick you've been a side chick in a relationship where you haven't been the main guy yeah so you like having a secret relationship he would be a side what? dick. He uh, wouldn't be a side, side chick. dick. Yes. Side dick. The side dick. I yes. never heard that term. Have you heard that term, side? No, but John. I'm really happy to hear it. <laughs> so I'm going to use it a lot this week. Side dick. Yeah. So how long did the side dick relationship go on for? <laughs> it, you know, I think it's an on, and on again, off again thing. It's still going. No, 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 no. That that particular scenario. These things happen. When, these things happen a lot when you're younger. Right. I mean, to some of us. Well, yeah. <laughs> but being in a relationship where you're the second fiddle person, though, that's tricky. You're not the second fiddle when you're with the person. Right, but you're not... You're, the fir- re- you're always the first <laughs> fiddle while you're with the person. But you're not the real boyfriend, though. <laughs> you're the side dick. Yeah, but that, that can be... You it know. can be beneficial, because you don't have to... You don't Technically, have to, you don't if you're like a side dick, you're actually both. So you're, both, you're in a relationship. The girls are smart, so you're in a relationship with her, too. Uh, so it's not like you're. She, has a, she doesn't saying. have a main man and then have a side dick. No, you. She. She'd probably ask you for stuff too. She's that, probably like, hey, I need some money, and you know, you're in a relationship. She probably calls you and tells you all her problems. Like the same thing. She just have two men. She just has two men. Uh huh. And that's okay. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. Other, right. <laughs> Both people are using each other, right? Yeah. So, so might I as mean, well just be an open relationship rather than have these two. Guys go, I don't know. I've noticed it's hard for people not to use each other. Everybody uses everybody. Generally, aren't they really? Naturally, we use it's everybody. Well, <laughs> John, technically, are people using each other if it's a mutually beneficial relationship? I think it depends on how they're conceiving it in their own mind, right? So if they're thinking that something else is going on and it's not, then they may be used, you know, unbeknownst to them. And oftentimes we do what works for us in the moment. So um, we don't want to admit that about ourselves. Though, right? So if we're in a relationship and we're considered the side chick or the side dick, so to speak, um, <laughs> it's kind of hard not to say that and laugh. Um, uh, you know, you're gonna you have to also think about why am I getting myself in that situation? You know, so there are probably What's a lot the of reasons. Answer? What is the answer to that? Why What's well, unique some- to the person? You know, I mean, it could be that they don't think that they're worthy of being the primary person in the relationship. It could be that um, they like it this way because it's easy and it's dispensable. 
Um, there are a whole host of reasons. I think it's important that people actually explore, hey, look, why am I getting myself into that? Um, and being open to, to, to thinking through maybe exiting it if it's not working for you. Maybe it is working for you, you know, but owning that. I think when people are younger, they're shopping too. There's a certain amount of shopping. They're like checking it out. Like if I take this one more seriously or do I take that one more seriously? But right. Where, where people get hurt though is they get, there's not like disclosure, right? <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. people don't know and you aren't being like honest about it. So I think if, if you're honest and, tra- and transparent say, look, I think you're my side chick, you know, then you at least have some sense of transparency about it. The problem is it's when people aren't being honest and transparent. Yeah, but about all it. human relationships go wrong with expectation. Sure. That, yeah. That's basically right. it's a, it's a yeah. basic, right. basic state of expectation right. is where everything yeah. falls apart. Right. So, you know. so if you have no expectations, you're going to be happy. Uh, in general, that's the best way to go. Can you live like that? Yes. What do you call that? Is that some sort of zen? Uh, it's smart. <laughs> smart. <laughs> like, look, in, look into look into the way human beings are, and then draw a conclusion, and then and then you're not you don't have to worry about them being good or bad or evil or good. Are if you, you saying seriously? That you can totally live without judgment or expectation. No, I'm saying that in terms of some certain kinds of fields, not every dimension of life, but I'm just saying once you've learned some kinds of dimensions, right. sure, it's probably best not to have expectations because you end up in a in a world of trouble. Especially, I mean, it's a bit, um, you know, I mean, life is limited. You know, if you get halfway through it, you're you know, or half what you expect is halfway through the life expectancy thing. You're supposed to have at least. A, a, I would say a smart thing to do is, is having is to conform your philosophies to your observations, your actions and your life to your observations that you make about life, right? Well, that, yeah, Am to I be smart. No, to be smart enough to have learned some lessons and actually act on them rather than repeating the same mistakes right. over and over. Right. But, I, I, but, he might think I, but you're you're setting up for, for him with with uh, with John here for uh, for a cognitive testing. <laughs> I, I might be deranged. Well, <laughs> well, do, you, do you get people coming? You don't deal with people with problems, though, with psychological problems. Do I you? do, yeah. So you a portion do. of my practice is um, people who have um, conversion disorder, which is um, um, so it's a common psychological phenomenon where we have physical symptoms um, that mimic uh, medical symptoms. So people who will have what look to be seizures or a stroke, um, but... So part of their body's paralyzed or they can't speak or they're shaking uncontrollably, but the EEG is actually normal when they're shaking. So there's no abnormal electrical discharges going off when they're doing that. Um, or they'll have an MRI of their brain and they don't actually have any stroke going on. You can, hang on, hang on, wait up. You can have a psychologically induced stroke? Uh, so it's not a stroke, it's like a stroke. Basically part of your body isn't functioning properly. So in the same way that, like maybe when you first started radio, you may, your heart may have raced a little bit before you got on, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that you're having a heart attack or that you needed to see a cardiologist. Your brain's communicating to you. You're a little nervous. Right. This is just a very dramatic reaction to that. It's um, like a panic attack? Uh, it, well, it's kind of similar to a panic attack in that it's a physical symptom. But for these people, it's even more dramatic where it looks like it's a seizure. It looks like it's a stroke. But once we do a medical investigation, there isn't any actual medical reason for these physical symptoms. And there's enough of these people showing up at Austin Hospital every day that keeps you in a job. Um, yeah, 40%, 40% of the people admitted to an epilepsy monitoring unit nationally have conversion disorder. So over half, almost half. Wow. Who How think about they have that? Seizures. 40% of people in the United States who think they have epilepsy have psychological issues that are giving them an, a seizure but their brain is not actually giving them Having a seizure. seizure. Right. Well, so but people admitted to the, to the unit. I don't know nationally what those stats would be. This is in New Orleans. Well, at least here, but it's certainly the case throughout the United States as well. So well, we think about like people with chronic pain. You know, there's obviously a psychological component um, to pain symptoms. Uh, they're called things called functional GI disorders where, you know, kids m- frequently say they have their belly aches before school, right? But they don't really have a belly right. ache. Right. Funny how it goes away as soon as you like to stay home right. for the day. Yeah. Right. That's it. Um, and so there's a whole spectrum of that. But I thought um, that was acting there. Yeah. Well, so it depends. I mean, you know, some, sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious, actually. You, you know? can't actually have a real stomach ache. How yeah. many kids have you got? Five. Candy, five kids. <laughs> five wow. Kids. Okay. You know, what? How, how old are they now? I got um, a senior in school now, and then I have my youngest is a year. Wow. So really from, so what's that? Like? 17 to? 17 to one. To one. Yep. So you've been having kids for the last 17 years, every, <laughs> like, three or four years? Yeah, I think they kind of spread out more. I think my, my youngest is seven years apart from the next one. Okay. So that was a really – all my kids are really spread out. I kind of like them spread out. 
They yeah. can watch I just started younger. Yeah. You know, because I like to enjoy my children. Like, I like the baby phase, so I like to spend as much time with them. And then, like, like, like my last one before the one-year-old, I didn't. I kept him from from preschool because I was thinking he's my last child. So I was like, oh, I want to stay home with him as much as possible before he went to. Which I don't know, it might have been a mistake because he was tested like early. He he They were going to skip a uh, grade for him. He was that smart. That's because you homeschooled him? No, I just didn't. I just home loved him. <laughs> so I that loved just him. might be Lots natural. Of love. <laughs> so now you're married again and yes. you're starting all over with a whole new guy with a new family. Yes. Yes. Okay. And how, how are all the kids getting along? Oh, like we're all just been there forever. Right. And how do they get along with the new, with the the new stepdad? Oh, What's, he's just... He's cool? Well, yeah, he, they love him just like they said it. They say it all the time. It's like he was just always been here. Right. Yeah, it's just all natural. Like. Is he in the entertainment business? Yes, he's a rapper. He's a rapper? Mm-hmm. Weren't you with a rapper originally? Yeah. Wasn't the first guy <laughs> way back? Way back, way back. Okay. And I don't know. I just... I guess I... I've always wanted to be a singer growing up. And oh, I, here's your chance. And no, yes. I can't sing. I can't sing for shit. No, me neither. No, I can't sing for shit. They make me do it. <laughs> yeah. Why would you no, like I to sing? No, I can't I only sing do for shit. Anyway, <laughs> I, do, I, I do everything else but sing. So the acting, the modeling. And, and I, I, for some reason, I gravitate towards more, attract a lot of musicians. So I guess that kind of makes up for my lack of and what singing. And what's this rapid person's name? Nick Robb. Nick Rob. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you know him? I mean, do we know Jonathan? Is he like in the... No, I don't know him. You know Not the yet. You'll circles. know him soon. <laughs> we will. It's coming up. Okay. Yep. Where do we find him? Is he on Spotify and all that sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, he's on Spotify. Nick Rob. okay. N-I-C-K-R-O-B. N-I-C-K-R-O-B, okay. Yep. And what? And, and um, C-Rock will find that for us in no time. Yeah. Okay, and what sort of stuff? Does he make? Does he write songs about you? He Yes, he made a song, a couple of songs about me. <laughs> But he sings about uh, everything, I guess. He what was the song about you too. called? Star Power. Star Power. How does it go? <laughs> I know can what you, you're trying to get you, me to do. Can you remember any lyrics from it? No. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. You don't have to sing them. Just You can just say them. What are they? No, I don't remember. <laughs> is it? Okay. <laughs> I hope he's not watching this. I know. I think he's he got, is probably He's going to be pretty embarrassed. C-Rock, see if, uh, <laughs> see if Nick Rob the rapper is... Is in the audience. Okay. Okay. So I'm pretty alarmed to hear about this whole seizure, conversion disorder. Yeah. Did I write that down? I have to write that down. Conversion disorder. Think about like you're converting psychological symptoms into what seem to be physical symptoms. Well, everybody knows that there's a connection between a psychological state, and you can give yourself a you know a headache from stress, or give yourself a stomachache from stress, or whatever. But I didn't know you could give yourself a seizure. Right. So in uh, Japan, actually, they did a really neat study where they blindfolded two groups of people. Um, and for uh, one set of people, they rubbed them with basil and told them it was poison ivy. And they unblindfolded them, and they had the typical poison ivy reaction afterward. And then in the other group, they rubbed with poison ivy and said it was basil. And only, ha- only a quarter of them actually had the poison ivy reaction afterward. And so it just really shows the interplay between expectations and what you think is going to happen. This is what Jonathan so, is saying. It's all about expectations. So, so if you expect your marriage to work out, it's going to work out. Well, yeah, positive thinking is great. There's been a whole field of positive psychology, you know. So about, yeah. But you also don't want to be deluded and, you know, your head in the sand as well. So it's important to kind of balance that. What do you think, Candy? I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board with the whole positive thinking. Yeah. It hasn't worked for you, though, because you're on marriage number what? Number two. Two. Oh, that's yeah. not that bad. That, that's not bad. My first marriage, I was a kid. I was, I was like... You're 12. <laughs> I was like, uh, it was my first, and I haven't been with anybody else, kind of thing. Right, then you were single for that whole then, uh, period. Then, yeah, say you've so been. So really, that was like a right. long time ago. It was like 15 what? years ago, six, yes, yeah, 15 years ago. Wow, that, that was a long count. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what, so I've got a whole list of things that you do here in this bio that they sent me about you. All right. John. First of all, why is your name Robert John, and you don't call yourself Robert? So my um, dad is Robert John as well. And in the South, frequently guys go by their middle name and their dads usually have the first name. Um, so I'm Robert John the second, and he's Robert John as well, but he goes by Bob, which is a you know nickname for Robert. Okay. So, so that's you how got, that happened. So they called you Robert John, and then they just, but they called you John from birth. Yeah, and it's really given everyone in IT a real headache because my email is robert.sawyer, but my name is John, so everyone has to inhibit John first. They have to 
type R. Yeah. So it's the joke everywhere I've worked, everywhere, that they just can't figure that out. So. It is really confusing. I was confused as well. Yeah. Jonathan, what's your middle name? Alicia. Alicia. Yes. That's very biblical. Isn't it? it I'm glad you're with somebody yeah. who actually spotted that. That's Alicia. Good. Alicia. Okay. All right. Well, That's really cool. What, Karen, what, I mean, Candy, what's your middle name? I what? don't have one. You don't have a middle name? Well, you know what? Now, I do have one now because when I got married, I moved my maiden name to my middle name. Your maiden name was, what was your maiden name? Tep. So that was your original name? Yeah. Karen Tep. That's mm -hmm. what I knew you as originally. Yeah. Okay, so now it's Candy Tep Rob. Yeah. Or well, Karen Tep Rob Burton. <laughs> Rob Ertson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Nick Rob is just the guy's, he's got a fake name as well. Yeah, so it's kind of like, Stage you know, it's kind of like us right here. Okay. Like John. Okay. Hey, yeah. listen, all right. <laughs> so listen, Jonathan, before we get any further, we have to talk about what you're up to. Okay. Because this is pretty crazy, you guys. Jonathan's one of, I mean, I've never said this sentence, I don't think, in my life before. Jonathan's written an opera. Uh, yes. Oh, this wow. is the fourth one, actually. It's a fourth opera. Yeah. Yeah, they've all been performed. Although a couple of them I was just a composer on. But this one, this is one of the two where I've done everything. Written, I've written libretto. and That's awesome. I've recently gotten obsessed with opera. Oh, really? Um, and my four-year-old, my four-and-a-half-year-old loves opera. Okay. Um, and I'll frequently, like, play that music into the, and when they're we're getting a bath. And so she'll stand up in the bath and, like, do, you know, like an opera kind of movement, walking around and wow. stuff like that. that's really She gets very bizarre. into it. It's part great. of my also, like, wanting to advance her brain development. That's great. <laughs> um, so... Yeah. Uh, what got you into opera? Well, I think opera is terrible, and, uh, and <laughs> uh, the, the, my principal thing is that uh, you know, the, the, as a composer, you know, it's pretty bad. The, the great ma masters of composition would have been considered perfect, except they engaged in opera, and a lot of great masters wrote terrible operas, and it go, continues this way. And so I figure, well, there's some place for, you know, improvement at a low level there. You wow. Know? Are you suggesting that you're the savior of opera or that it's all so bad that the bar is so low that you can't fuck it up? Oh, it was bad from the start. It's, it's a bad idea. It's great. I love opera because it's the ultimate uh, it, it's the it's it's the ultimate artific artificial concept that you know in music. It's absolutely not organic at all and it's fantastic. Is it really I thought it was the sort of the culmination of all sort of artistic fields. No, it's it's total it was framed it started from total hypothesis which is some people in the renaissance thinking having realized that the greeks sang their uh their theater uh decided that they needed to uh think up a music much like nasa that that could be uh that, that could deliver the development of individual characters so that they could do something that the greeks did and henceforth and, and then to top it off after having come up with it they realized that they needed to really uh please their the, the money overseer that was that was financing their 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 project and so they decided to ditch all that at the last minute and really just go for a bunch of uh a bunch of side entertainments and uh and and decorations and uh and ditch the kind of music and just carry on with what they were doing already it's a very funny thing and what know? years are we talking about when was this around just before 1600 okay they're of florentine camarada this is what this is what galileo's father did he thought up music Really? But I thought of kinds of music. That Galileo's could be the, father was the yeah. I thought of music that, of that, we, that could make the Venetian, that could continue to make the Florentines uh, seem like great people. Well, how about that? Yes. Okay. Did you know anything about this, John? Did not at all. Actually, yeah. Junior? John Junior. <laughs> actually, my mom definitely wanted the second and not Junior because she did not want people calling me Johnny Junior. So that's really funny. I'll have to tell her that. Hopefully, she's listening. Right Johnny now, so. Junior. She doesn't <laughs> want people calling you that. I like Johnny Junior. <laughs> I know. Do you? I, I'm indifferent to it. It's fine. So. <clears throat> indifferent to it? Yeah, it's no big deal. Hmm. Okay. My baby's a junior. Hmm. Which baby? Nick Rob Jr. Nick Rob Jr. He's the one-year-old. What about your um, eye, eyelashes? Are they... Are they real or? <laughs> this is that's, radio a, that's a man like this you. Is great <laughs> great that's radio. a man for you. They like <laughs> to like. Oh, yeah. They're very. Real. I just noticed them. They're very, very impressive. Thank you. How do you stick those on with some sort of eyelash glue? Super glue. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, the, so the the birth of opera in the 1600s 
led us down a bad path, apparently, which then eventually gave us Wagner and... Well, no, I mean, it goes through a lot of really wonderful things that are the other reasons I do it, which is just that, you know, following this particular oddity, it actually went through a good period where where I think it... Um, a short good period before it became completely censored and taken over by upper classes who rejected most of its uh, okay. its positional roots to describe. Because so the people, people in power don't like being made fun of. They're very pompous. Uh, we have a president as such. And, uh, and, uh, and they... And, uh, it got largely taken over by that, but then it was, then it was, uh, you know, along with most forms of art, were reappropriated by the ordinary people. Okay, so cut to the present day. Yeah, and you, this will interest you, Candy, because this is an opera about sex, basically. It, it, it is. It's about. It's so my opera is about You're James funny. Joyce is on James Joyce's dirty letters. It's called, "Darling, please don't be offended at what I wrote." His letters are extremely filthy, like you can't imagine. So I think this is probably. The, some of the filthiest thing that will ever have been done this way theatrically since since probably restoration comedy which happened when the English got to throw the Puritans out uh, unfortunately they came to America so the United States didn't have theater until the late 1800s but but now we do and so you know I'm going back to so, you know, so I didn't know anything about this until I got here today yeah about what this opera was about and C-Rock pulled up on the computer some of the James Joyce's dirty letters James Joyce's letters yes C-Rock, do you want to read us an example of... You can do that on the air. Well, yeah, I, can, yeah, I read some choice quotes to Grant, but uh, with an audience, I would not feel comfortable at all. And I'm wondering how, how do you get around that, you know, saying some of these things that he wrote that are just... I mean, he, I was, he was beyond a freak. No, no, let's get this straight. He's not really. The problem is that the main problem, if you look at it, is that we live in a grotesquely mannered society and what's supposed to be a democratic and, and a place that, that, that is that, that uh, is not puritanical and, and applauds the common man. Therefore, we've been overrun by an idea that the common people can't talk the way they commonly talk. How ridiculous. So I knew in James Joyce's opera, the way he commonly spoke with his wife, which is uncommon because he was a very good writer, as everyone knows, which means that there's something even there in the sound of it. But my feeling on it is that I don't know any kid between 8 and 14 that doesn't use all those terms when you're not looking. And okay. the next thing is the pretense that anyone doesn't know them or doesn't talk like that half the time when they get angry or otherwise is also crazy. Very but there's a difference do. between using what we call curse words saying fuck this or fuck you or one thing it's one thing it's quite different from what C-Rock read me which was a sort of a uh, description of this guy fucking his wife which he wrote to her and sort of a, looking back at and f- fondly about what happened last night so, in very graphic terms that it would be very difficult for me women to women actually like that they do <laughs> thank you I would offer a <laughs> counterpoint here what's that we all use this language and we speak even worse but um Fart fetish is is far from mainstream or of the common man. It's it's, totally it is it is fringe. <laughs> it is fringe, and I'm not kink shaming anyone. But to say the common man would like farts blown in his face, like how James Joyce wanted it. It doesn't matter whether it's what the common man wants. The common man is into sex. Here's a man exp- exploring exploring what is possibly written. And what's exploring, exploring his relationship in terms of what's possible, and at the invitation of his wife, more, no less, which it becomes clear in the in the, in the letter in the writing. And the next thing is that I would say this: most children go through a period where all they're doing is talking about farting. And now we have books for children describing how they should not be ashamed to fart. Why? Because it's unhealthy. So the pretense that this is something in society that we've... First thing, we've decided it's healthy. Second thing, we've just decided it's okay to talk about. And now we have a revulsion from, the, from, the, from some internal part of people's things that is just saying you shouldn't talk about it. Now, why shouldn't you talk about it? Health reasons. Health reasons you shouldn't talk about farting? It's, uh, it's unhealthy not to fart. It's but unhealthy not to up. put a fart into your face. Is it really? Why? <laughs> you get pink eye. What could you catch? You get pink eye. Can you? Yes. Yes, but he's saying... It's not saying he's not giving you an artwork is not telling you how to live your life. But you it's know, not, did you read so, that, so, that that thing that it was like a newsletter that they said like the healthiest or happiest relationship is when you can fart in front of each other. So it's uh, like, yeah. 
That was in a newsletter. But let's let's get this back. <laughs> this is not an opera about farting. Get it back on track. It's yeah. not. That's a small. But that's a, this that's is a, not an opera about farting. That's one. Is that's it one section? And it's certainly it's certainly it entertaining is. to people how much he but talks about the farting. I thought this was about so, anal sex, basically. This, uh, no, no, no. There's not the about opera, anal sex. No, no. That script that he's talking about. I see oh. why Grant got me in this conversation. Well, here's <laughs> no, here, here's what's you going on. You can chime in anytime here's you what, want. Here's what's going on. There's all kinds of sexual stuff described there. There's also an arc to the arc to the drama about it. To tell the truth. Here's what it is. He he went to Dublin in in, in 1909 in order to get a movie theater put in Dublin because he'd run away to Trieste with his wife because he didn't like Ireland anymore. But he, Dublin didn't have a movie theater, so he went back to get a movie. It's also the time period where he got his first book published, uh, The Dubliners, by, by accident. But he was there. There's some implication that his wife didn't want him seeing hookers in Dublin and thought that, she, that this would be a good idea for him to write this. It's another good thing. And uh, the other thing is that, uh, and so it only went on for a few weeks in, uh, in, in, that, in that period, and then, you know, 1911. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's about it. It was a small, a small period. But you can tell it's sort of partly literary experiment, partly real letter, partly okay. all kinds of things. But, but my opera is them singing literally that text. So the, op <laughs> the opera is he and his wife reminiscing about their sex life or no the opera is the opera is has one act it's basically his, the text from the letters is being sung that means uh, that's it can you give us an example of the libretto of like a few lines a few lines from the libretto yeah, can you remember i can pull it up would, okay. you, would you really like a few lines yeah, from the libretto yeah yeah what they, you the like lines from the libretto are just the lines from the from from the letters and i am uh, i'm not okay. I, I have no problem reading that for no you. no this uh, is I, I think most people listening to this probably don't know anything about it i don't want well, you think most people are like me, John? Do you know anything about this? No, no, nothing about it. Nothing about it. Ah. Candy, do you know anything about James Joyce's letters to his wife? No. All right. I'm not surprised, <laughs> though, given no. his culture and background and, you know, just Irish and Catholic and the way he wrote and, you know, just a lot of repression. And like, I, I right. can see where but it But, Candy, you're an expert about, on, like, these subjects. <laughs> do you think... You, so you're saying women like to have sexual exploits recounted to them, in your opinion? Yeah, I think... I, I think Women like to hear what we did and if it pleased them, and we like we like that whole sex talk with our with our men, I guess. Okay. Do you? I, 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 do you it, throws, it throws my husband off all the time. <laughs> He's like, "What are we like kids? Are we? Why are we used to talk about it? It's, it's fun for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird, but think I think that, that women do really do like that. You think you're weird or you're normal? Um, I don't mean normal. I mean normal. average. <laughs> I think I'm pretty different. You are? Mm -hmm. So you like that? You like to hear people talk about sex? Uh, you think it's... I like when my husband talks to me about sex. Mm -hmm. I like what when people... What about Dr. Sawyer talk to you about sex? <laughs> that would be different. <laughs> what about going to an opera where they're singing on stage, recounting the, you know what's these funny? lines? I actually went and watched a movie one time, and um, you know, I, I blush. I kind well, that's just what I'm getting at. How embarrassing Wait, is this going to be? I get embarrassed be? when I watch people like, like Fuck this. It. Like yeah, but, but this one was really like, because you're in a movie theater, so you're a bunch of people, and it, and it wasn't just like you know, like right. It, they were both naked, and you could see everything, and they were, you know, it was just like, wow, this is. And I turned around, and I was like, uh. was this a real movie or a, po it's a porno real movie. movie? Just a regular movie. <laughs> it was with a movie. You know how, well, you know how movies nowadays is like nothing is. Okay, so how Nothing are you going to feel if you go to the opera with your husband and hear these lines? Well, so two shows, so seven thirty, eight forty-five. Like, <laughs> so opera is you like singing. Is it singing and acting? Like uh, operas? Yes, they're singing and acting. Yes. That's okay. a good so question. Do they, What's have going on? do they do that? Um, on stage? They're not having sex on stage. No, actually, they, there's not. There's not even. A, so they're not even. There's not even a male and female on stage simultaneously. Okay. No, I don't think I... And then well, I really don't understand opera, right? They don't even sing in English. They're singing in English in this one. Oh, okay. And they're singing the text in this one. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's the, the, the libretto from A, a snippet from, from the, the libretto. Author. Here you okay. go. It says, Darling, do not be offended at what I wrote. My beautiful wild flower of the hedges. My dark blue rain-drenched flower. Inside this spiritual love, a wild beast like craving for your body. For every secret and shameful part of it. For every odor and act of it. Pray to the spirit mirrored in your eyes or fling you down on that soft belly and fuck you up behind, glorying in the very stink and sweat that rises from your arse. Tremble with love at the sounding of some cadence of music, 
or lie head to tails with your fingers fondling my bollocks or stuck up in me behind, hot lips sucking off my cock, while my head is wedged between your fat thighs, hands clutching the cushions of your bum, tongue licking ravenously up your rank red cunt. Very nice. How is okay. that? What would you I think we do that. In, we do that in regular terms. People do that. Yeah. So okay. Well, hello. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, you have yeah, how embarrassed like would you be sitting in a theater with your husband and kids? Well, in, in those terms, I probably wouldn't be embarrassed. Okay. Because it just it's not it, it's. It's an artwork. Right, right, right. So if you said it like, like in in, in how porn people say it, I think <laughs> you're gonna be like, uh, what's going on, right? But, you okay. know, he's, he's like, so you know, put your finger in my fucking asshole because I like it and I want you to suck my balls. Like, it's, like, not the same as what he said. It, so. I thought that's pretty much just what he did say. <laughs> like you said, yeah, it was different. <laughs> okay. So, you, so because ju- the way that's written to you is more poetic and artistic. Yeah, it's more poetic and artistic than actually. Okay. It's more like when, when, you, when you translate it into, like, modern day. It probably been more. It's more explicit. I mean, they say that stuff in rap songs all the time. When uh-huh. People talk about fucking all the time. Uh-huh. And, yeah, they grab yeah. them by the ass and fuck them in. The, they say it all the time. That's What's that? Right. What's that? Eat, eat, eat my booty like groceries. Like, I mean, like, come on. Just eat, shit. You know, it's interesting <laughs> because actually there is a psychology component. You know, one of the things is the intellectuals at that time. Of course, they knew about Freud and all that stuff. He used to correspond with those people, and that is that they were trying to undermine their inhibitions and and all that by letting everything. Out. Being open about absolutely everything. And like I said, one of the fascinating things here about this is to hear people from 100 years ago who are like, we got to get rid of these shame thing and the things are invisible. Let's just let it all out. And now we've gotten to a point of, no, no, we better not, we better not do that. Definitely don't do it on the air. Don't do it in front of everybody. Don't do it. Pretend it doesn't happen. But did people talk to each other when Joyce wrote this? Was this published? Uh, those weren't person- published, but there was certainly plenty of writing around that you could get that was like that. Absolutely, it was available. I mean, this was actually the thing. He was his book was banned until 1922. I mean, this is why we have Bloomsday. So this is all incidentally. Okay. I, let me do my let me yes. push my stuff. Yes, where are we? So the opera itself. Let's get down to the <laughs> nitty gritty rather than rather than the, rather than the arguments for or against it or what it is. The opera is going on as part of the Bloomsday celebration, which my friend Chris Lane is now in charge of. Bloomsday is the annual celebration of Ulysses, which happened on June 16th because that was the date that he had with his wife for the first day. The Ulysses all happens in one day in Dublin on June 16th. And so since Flan O'Brien started his big drinking party on that day once, uh, it's gone on every year. And so this year we have it in New Orleans. Great things are going to go on, like the Calliope is going to be playing Irish music at 2 oh. and uh, certain Irish music from for that was popular in the Joyce thing and then uh, my opera goes on Friday night and Sunday night the 14th and 16th of June uh, it, there'll be two shows uh, at 7.30 and 8.45 and it's very short it's only thir- it's be about 30 minutes long oh. and so okay. I like it fast because has the implications I, I use a lot of Things that all kinds of things are overlaid on it. Beckett stuff, all kinds of fun stuff about Irish literature and literature. And not, it's not only literary; it's about sex. It's a romp. So you know, it's a nice body romp plus plus opera plus theater plus. It's uh, a sort of a sex operetta. It's a, uh, exactly. He calls it an operetta. That's very funny. I started writing. I was like, I first I was like, I don't know if it's an operetta. Then I started writing it as an operetta because he called it an operetta. I call it an operata. You say operetta, I say operata. <laughs> yeah. what, what, is, what is the difference? What's well, a, you know, uh, I figure an operata is more rotten than an operetta. Okay. <laughs> operata. <laughs> a sex operata. How would you spell operata? With an A? Uh, I like to spell it. I like to really run into, you know, into the malaprop territory. So we call it, I would spell it O-P-E-R-O-T-T-E-A-A apostrophe. As if there's an R on the end. It's too complicated. Operata. It's an operata, but it's an operata. Listen, talking about sex, it says here in front of me, here, John, Johnny Jr., that you were a Jesuit seminarian. I was, yep. From 2005 to 2006. That is correct. Or 2005 and 2006, perhaps. For one year, yeah. For one year. Okay, so that was relatively recently. Yep. So you've done a lot of stuff in between 2006 and 2019. That is true, yep. You got yourself a PhD. In psychology. In got psychology. married to my husband. My husband and I adopted two children. Right. So, yeah. And, uh, and you got yourself a fancy-ass job at running this whole thing at Austin Hospital. Right. So 
What what happened in that 12 months when you were going to be a priest and you decided not to be? So I, uh, the Jesuits are a, um, an awesome religious order in the Catholic Church. A lot of what they're dedicated to is um, education and social justice. So how do we help marginalized people? Uh, and that's what attracted me to the Jesuits. Um, I also wanted to, uh, you know, serve in a way that I felt like I could do it all the time, and that uh, I felt like I was called during that time. I don't think I would have been Who a psychologist. God, God, yeah, for sure. So did he uncall you when you left? Yeah, so I think sometimes God calls you to do different things, and then you don't do it anymore. You know, um, do you I don't think I would. Believe, do you still believe that God's calling you? Uh, I think God calls us to do different things at different times in our lives. Uh, yeah, but I mean, do you think He's still calling you on a daily basis, like now? Is He paying attention to you? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I think. I mean, I um, pray on a daily basis, and my right. kids pray. They're all and baptized. He, he didn't tell you not to come and do this show. He did not. No, that's right. So therefore, it's God approved. Well, I don't know about that, but you have to know. I'll have to maybe pray about that. <laughs> but um, I certainly think I'm. Uh, so you're still religious, Catholicly religious, if that's a term. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, my. Um, so, what is the Catholic Church's position on you being married to a guy and adopting two kids? Yeah, they are not a, not really happy about that, uh, but they'll have to get over it. They'll um, have to just suck so, it up. Yeah, yes. um, our children were. were. Um, you know, we we actually attend an Episcopal church, St. Andrews, um, on Carrollton. Um, and the priest there used to be a Catholic priest in Homa Thibodeau, um, and he was the first priest that came out um, as gay in the United States, um, and then since left and became an Episcopal priest. Um, we had our Rosie was baptized; um, she was the first child baptized by a gay couple in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, we had a really cool video about it, and a lot of people were um, super excited um, that um, uh, that a gay couple would have their kids baptized in the Catholic Church. And I think we, in order for us to have dialogue, we have to be present. You know. Uh, wait, wait up a sec. You're allowed to have your kid baptized in a Catholic church if you're a gay couple, even though the Catholic church doesn't recognize even gay, let alone gay marriage. Well, you know, I think some people, I think some bishops would have a different different opinion about it, but I think um, uh, it certainly seems uh, punitive to the child, um, like many um, yeah. Catholic schools, you know, um, I don't really think any Catholic schools that we looked at for Rosie would have had a problem with us enrolling her there. Um, but nationally, some schools would have, sure. But what about the church itself, though, the actual Catholic church? Yeah, it's the a Catholic huge... church doesn't believe that yeah. you're supposed to be gay, does it? Well, it's, I... believes it's, that there's something wrong with that. that yeah, certainly the Catholic God church... doesn't like gay people. Well, I don't know that, it, that they would... That they would I th- certainly think an element of the church, you know, a third or 40% of Catholics and um, clergy think um, a lot of negative, you know, horrific things about gay people. Um, but um, a, a significant minority of Catholics actually are... 30% of Catholics think negative things about gay people and horrific things. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Do you know how many Probably people so. that is? That's, yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. A lot. That's, so. that's like a billion. They I mean, should worry about other things than gay people. But also 30, 40% yeah. of the United States voted for someone who, you know, are, isn't super supportive of gay people as well, right? So, I mean, it's our job to really engage. Um, it's our job really to... Yeah, sure. It's our job to engage uh, people where they are. Um, and I think if we get into our corners um, and we say, well, if you aren't with me 100%, then you're against me, right? Then we're not really going to have a relationship with people. So we have to be willing to kind of do the hard work um, of hearing what they're talking about and also having them uh, hear what we're talking about. And I think the fact that us as gay people actually showed up in church and baptized our child there, I can't tell you how many people who were really conservative who were like, oh, okay, let's talk about this a little bit more. I can have a, I can have a different conversation. This is giving me a whole different idea about what it means to be gay um, and Catholic. Now, um, you know, nationally, you know, um, uh, as our children have gotten older, I feel like it's important that our children are, are raised in a church where it overall is more tolerant. So that's why we're at an Episcopal church right now. But individually, you know, I see myself as a Catholic. And so I think it's um, a challenge. A, this would be a great movie or made for TV movie. If you brought up your kids in a Catholic church and then they become really Catholic and they reject people who are gay because well, they I say think, it's wrong. Well, I, you know, um, there That's, are... That would be a great movie, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be for me. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm talking about but, Hollywood. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think, though, um, uh, most of the children who reject their parents uh, later in life, it has way more to do with the parents and their parenting than it does have to do with religion. Um, so yeah, I would, but this is the movie I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I understand that, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's pretty so, interesting. So you're yeah. like a sort of a trailblazer pioneer in the gay in the gay in the Catholic Church. 
Well, you're, I mean, you're sticking it to them, basically. Well, I mean, what I what I want them to know is that um, they don't hold. Um, they, they're not going to claim a truth about what gay people are and what gay people is. It's our job to say it about ourselves. Um, well, what's your yeah. husband's situation? Is he with you? He must be. Well, um, no, not really. I mean, I think Michael um, Michael had a lot of. Um, uh, very difficult experiences with the Catholic Church growing up. And so, you know, that's why we attend an Episcopal Church with our kids right now. Um, but, you know, um, I think he also wanted to support me and like my, you know, uh, my faith. And so that's kind of part of it as well. So well, that's cool. Yeah. I, I think you're super brave. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sticking it to the church like that. And it's going to be pretty interesting to see where that goes, actually. Well, I hope it's also not like sticking it to the church. What I hope is that the church well, goes, oh, let me let me sit down and talk to you. Because what happens is that if they perceive it as like um, sticking it to them, then they're not going to come to the table, you know? And so we have to be able to, to hear each other out and kind of come to the table. And I hope that they experience it more as me but coming to the table. Well, But you're being open-minded and saying, let's talk. But that, that's not their position, is it? Or is it? Um, I think it depends on the church, it depends on the priest, it right. depends on the bishop. So Okay. All right. Hey, listen. Jonathan, you want to play something? Um, I suppose I have to Let's, play something. You don't have to, but I think it would no, be nice, good. don't you? Yeah. We, uh, can take a, we can take a little break here. Okay, I'm not going to play anything from the opera. I just want you to know that okay. right now. So what is it? The music in the opera, is it what we would call operatic? Like Yeah, it's going to be operatic music. I mean, in, in, well, Choir, maybe not. It depends. Choral. No, no, no. Actually, there's only there's only one singer. It's for it's scored for mezzo soprano and guitar and flute and electronics. So uh, that is probably not what people are used to. But um, it, it, is that uh, a man or a woman? It would be a chamber opera thing. It's a woman uh, named Zara Zemmels is the is the mezzo soprano. She's really great, and uh, a fellow named Tim Robertson playing guitar and Janice Saslaw on the flute. So there's and only one person singing. That's only one person okay. singing. Okay, and she's she's singing these lines. Yes, these James Joyce lines. Yes, even though they sound like they're delivered by a man. Uh huh. Uh, so that's an interesting twist. Well, I I don't want to bore anybody. So <laughs> that's pretty interesting, right there, isn't it, Candy? Yeah. So you have a woman up there singing these lines that a man wrote. Yes, but she would have read them anyway, wouldn't she? So this is her reading. No, maybe not. You, 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 we'll have to you, come and see. Okay, so see. it's only eight bucks. That's all I can tell. It's eight dollars. That's what I'm excited. It's eight dollars. Two shows. It's the Peter and Paul Hotel, and it's exciting. And so yes, and it's only a half an hour. So if you can't stand opera, you're in, you're in for yeah, a an, bunch of sex and an, only a short amount of singing. It's an operata. It's an operata. So what are we looking at here, Candy? We're looking at ourselves. Are you shooting? Live. You're shooting Instagram. a live Instagram on Instagram. Okay. Good. Great. Excellent. Okay. Can you put a filter on that to make us look awesome? <laughs> the awesome filter. I don't know. I love it. If you can. Okay, Jonathan. So this is pretty exciting. So it's eight dollars at the Peter and Paul Hotel. Yeah. I don't even know where that is. That's that's in the it's in the Marigny on Burgundy Street, really close to Burgundy and Elysian Fields, right there. Okay. It's a beautiful hotel, and we're doing it in the church that's next door. Okay. And or it used to be a church. And um, and that's going on. It's part of the Bloomsday thing, which is going on all over town. There's a Facebook page about the Bloomsday, the whole Bloomsday thing, where they'll be, of course, read. They'll read the whole of James Joyce Ulysses that day, and there'll be a lot of big readers. And it's a hell of a book. Where's really that going fun. on? Not, definitely not for academics. And uh, <laughs> and it's going on a lot of places, a number of locations. The map will be on the uh, on the Facebook page. Is, okay. on the, is going up on the Facebook page. And also we have a GoFundMe page, which is really important. Okay, let's just get that. Better. So there's a GoFundMe for the operata. For the, op for the operata. And, uh, that's a GoFundMe. We can that's a GoFundMe. For, for James Joyce. Uh, it'll be on there in Bloomsday. What's and the then, name of the thing? Forgive me. For, for the what? Of the, the name of the actual opera. The name of the actual opera is called Darling, Please Do Not Be Offended at What I Wrote. Darling, Please Not Do... do that's a pretty good title. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to remember, but okay. Is it a comedy? Uh, well, it's um, it's tough question. Go it on. has. Uh, let's see. How do how do I how do I look at that? It's yeah. I mean, there's parts of it that are very funny. I mean, I would say that it, it, it's light. I didn't. I, I I went for an operetta after he said it. I was. I wanted something that's not heavy. On the other hand, it might be. You might find it funny the way that people find uh, Beckett's theater a little bit funny. I don't know if you've seen any of that. You know, it's sort of funny, but absurd. Sort of, but yeah, what's that? It's absurd. Well, maybe, but it's in a way sometimes it's genuinely funny. I mean, you know, it's not. It's not always. 
uh, it's not like a theater of pain thing exactly, so it's okay. not really that, you know. But it's, okay. but yeah, it's got funny, it's got funny stuff in it, sexy stuff, funny stuff. It's entertainment. No, it's like an opera. So it's operas are, are multiple, a multiple level of entertainment. You know, there's video, there's projections. The, art, the projections are done by a very great photographer from that lives in New Orleans named David Gamble, uh, and so he's. Uh, He's my collaborator. In fact, we just finished a film together. He's a great photographer. What did you, you made a, a movie? Yeah, David Gamble and I made a movie call, uh, called Esplanade, uh, which is a 30-minute movie um, that starts on in Algiers in the morning, looking this direction up Esplanade and continues up Esplanade all the way to the park. It's uh, 10 three-minute Things it was really a collaboration between uh, between um, the music and the photography. And David's an amazing photographer, and people know him. He's famous for shooting uh, uh, Andy Warhol's estate, and for shooting uh, the famous picture that you've seen of Stephen Hawking or uh, oh, yeah. or Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he li- and he lives here. He lives here. Yeah, shot a very famous That's triptych it. of the Dalai Lama and stuff from the Smithsonian. Guy. He's wow. a very interesting guy. Wow. David's a very fascinating hey, character. Hey, Candy, before, I see you shooting this stuff on Facebook. I mean, on Instagram. So tell us about your show, Cocktails and Candy. Okay. <laughs> Does this have anything to do with dating anymore, or what is it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever I did before, and I just made it into a reality show. So it's, just it's really... a reality show about your life. No. Sort of. So it's like me, I'm, I'm going out to do things with my friends. Like, it's a reality show, and then they... They call me up and say, "Hey, this is what's going on in my my relationship." So each each thing is a different topic. Each episode is a different so topic. So, well, what do your friends look like? Are they all hot looking yes. chicks like you? <laughs> so it's much. a bunch of hot looking women going out. Yeah, so it, it's a different it's a different environment, different cast guest stars, and stuff like that. So, it's, just explain this to me. So, it's a bunch of hot looking women going out talking about problems in their and relationship. And men, we have men and in men there too. too. Okay, all right. And and yeah, it's, it's talk, talking about different topics on relationships. And then we all kind of give each perspective on the topic. It's supposed to help the audience figure out if they're in the same situation. Well, um, give us an example. What's, has, have you shot any of these yet? Are they yeah, all? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's one about? Um, dating people in the industry. So my friend was dating a guy who is not in the industry, but she's a singer, and she travels a lot. The industry, so, meaning the entertainment industry. Right. Um, and she's a singer, and her, her boyfriend was, isn't in the industry. So I guess she travels often, and she's, when, you're, when you're doing things like that, you're, you really have, you're stuck to the phone because it's always an email or a text message from a manager, or you know, you're, you're always doing something, you know? So like he couldn't handle her being so busy, and I guess he felt like he didn't have enough time with her because she's right. so like so in on the show we talk about that and I kind of offer advice to her and then I had a had another guest star come in who also dated a girl what's your advi- what's your advice to her about that well I, I told her that maybe you should she was talking about how uh, one somebody texted her about a song I think maybe or something in the at two o'clock in the morning so I said, maybe you should just, when you're home, because you're away from him on tour all the time, maybe you should just shut it down and just spend that time with him, because you're there, you know, instead of like, but she's really like, when you're in the industry, when you're in that grind mode, you just like, you constantly, you know, trying to build yourself and, and making moves. So like every minute, every text, everything, every counts. So I said, if you really think this relationship is important to you, or if you're in love with this guy, then you would make time for him. And she said that she would try. So on the show, you know, it's a reality show. So on the show, she said she would try, and um, and stuff like that. So. And as a professional, yeah, psycho- What do you call yourself? Neuropsychologist. Right. When you hear stuff like this, do you yeah. think, oh my God, these people are stupid? No, I don't think anybody's stupid. I think um, it's total balance of her problem, right? Which is, I really want to be successful in my career, and I really want a relationship. So how do I navigate that? Um, and I think there's a, certainly uh, uh, a lot of difficult choices for her to kind of think through. Um, I would wonder what the 
panic is at two in the morning, you know, is the expectation that you respond within 20 minutes and if you don't, you lose it, you I know? I don't know if she responded. I think she just, you know, looked at the phone. Right, yeah. At two in the morning. Oh, and he's probably like, right. why? Who's texting you at two in the morning? But part of me would want to help her correct that, like, automatic, irrational thought, which is I'm going to lose a job when right. maybe that's not really true, you know? Right. Um, and really what's going on for her is I just really want to be successful and I feel like the only way to be successful is to be responsive constantly. Right. Is that really the only right. way to be successful in the industry is constantly responsive or right. is it innovating in new content or something like that so right. kind of expanding it you know most people when you ask them what when they're dying when you ask them what do they most uh, value what's most important for them it's not their job it's not you know how many hit songs they had it's their relationships it's their kids it's you know, these kind of right. enduring relationships and so it really is important for people to kind of take a step back and think about what's what's really important how right many, so how many dying people have you actually spoken to my goodness um, I mean, over real. the course of my career? No, yeah, I mean, do you really have conversations with people who are dying and they tell you that? So we know I don't that we know that from my hit songs. I'm just we know that from qualitative research. So people go in and interview the dying, and they ask them, you know, what's what do you find is what's most important, or what do you most regret? But this just sounds like a complete cliche to me that you hear this all the time. But surely no one is interviewing people on their deathbed, really, are they? Yeah, yes. for sure they are. They are. Sure, yeah. they are. Jonathan, how do you know this? Well, I got really sick a couple of years ago. Well, I was diagnosed with cancer, but you know. But the thing about it is that is that for sure people would ask ask you questions. I think it's a good idea, and not that I want to talk about it. But everybody, I didn't says, die. But everybody, you know, everyone is going to say dying. to you when when they're pushed that the most important thing in their life is something non-material. No one on their deathbed or any time, even now, is going to say. Oh, yeah, the most important thing to me is that I make a huge amount of money and I don't care who I fuck over. No, no, some, pe some people do say that. Do they really? Thing. Absolutely. And it's, not, it's not 100%. What do you think? It's not a good time for morality. <laughs> if you push most people, they're going to tell you whether they're telling the truth or not. They're going to tell you the most important thing in their lives is other people love, relationships, my kids. They're not going to say the amount of money I make, surely. Well, you're, you're thinking that it's uh, impression management, that they're just kind of saying what they impression think. Impression management. Yeah. Well, that they kind of think they even what have the, a family. Like, some people are, who do things, yeah, they're probably not in a relationship or have any kids, and they might be focused on making money because that's all, that's all they have right now. But everybody just, we always have this, this sort of stereotype idea of what happiness should be. Well, but take a step back and think about what you think about, what you think, because what these interviews are, they're asking people who are dying, what do you regret? You know, what do you, it's not so much like, you know, um, well, what I'm expecting you to say is your daughter right now, you know what I mean? It's not <laughs> what they're, so what, what do you regret? And people do, um, especially in really profound moments like that, get really heavy and think about, this is what I really, really regret. I wish right. I had not, right. I wish I had not done that. And I think a lot of people, especially when I talk to people who have Alzheimer's disease and I make that diagnosis, you know, with people every single day, um, you know, uh, a lot of it is, wow, if we'd known this three years ago, we would have lived very differently. Right? All you right. Know? Stop right there because we only have a couple of minutes left. Okay. This could be the most important conversation any of us have ever had, including everyone listening to this. Doctor, if we're going to change our lives to live properly so that we don't regret anything, so that if we do die tomorrow or the day after, that we have done everything right and we don't have a regret, what should we do to change our lives today? That's a really good question. I think uh, that's an excellent question. It's probably a lot of books that could tell you what to do. I think we need to sit back and think about what you want and also what your family needs and what your country needs, what does society need, what does the, the world need, and where those two, where your interests align and, you know, um, and where what the world needs, where those things kind of go together. I think you maybe know what you need to be doing every single day. Can you follow that, Candy? Do you understand what that even means? I couldn't even. I oh, wouldn't well, be sure. Like, what, I wouldn't be sure what need? to walk out of here you, and do. What are you? What are you good at? What do you like? And what do you think the world most needs? You know, like for you, for instance, you're really good at radio, and the world does need entertainment. It needs good conversation, and that's that aligns. It's so really I good. So stick you're doing, to that. Stick to it. You know. Okay. The same thing for me. If someone told me, you know, uh, if I thought I really, the world really needed a great basketball player, I'm not very good at basketball. <laughs> That's not that's not going to align really well, and so it really needs to be about what you're good at, what you're interested in, um, and also really what the world needs. And when those things kind of come together, you're gonna you're gonna be in the zone. You're gonna be performing really well. So if we all do what we're good at and what we enjoy doing, we're not going to have any regrets when we come to the dying moments. Yeah, I think you have to add what the world needs as well. There needs to be a common good, a social good attached to it. Okay. I agree. Candy, what's, I agree. what does that mean for you? When I you agree, walk? because, like, you know, I get this a lot being um, a mom, 
you know, and me pursuing the things that I want to pursue, like, um, you know, doing this TV show and everything, my journey up to this point alone, you know, people are like, why are you doing that? You're, you know, you're a mom, you should stay at home and da 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 like, this is your kids, your kids, your kids, your kids. It's like, what do you think I'm doing? Like, this is, if I stopped, at one point, they were like, maybe this is not for you, right? This is like years ago. And I was like, okay, let me just go to work and come home and just, you know, so I did that. And all I could think about was my dream. Like, and at that point, I was like, shit, I'm going to die. And my kids are going to grow up and live their own life. And I'm, by that time, I'm old. <laughs> like, and, like, and then wasted all those years where I could multitask. Well, do I could what, do I could do, do both. How many seconds do we have? A couple of minutes, I guess. Right. We have to Can get out here. Really One minute. Yes. So, uh, you know, Senator Day O'Connor, the Supreme Court Justice, right. her husband um, had Alzheimer's disease. And he sacrificed most of his life for her career. And towards the end of his disease, she would bring him into the courtroom um, in her chambers and have him with her because as you get in the later stages of the disease, you can get really fearful and anxious. Anyway, so she decided, you know, I'm going to quit and um, take care of him. And she quit. And uh, three months later, he had to go into a nursing home and got a girlfriend in the nursing home and did not remember his wife. And she said one of her main regrets was, I should have stayed in the court. Um, because I did not realize that this was going to happen that way. And so it is important for many women to think like, you know, kids do grow up. Kids yeah. do go on and do their life. Yeah, and so do. it is important <laughs> that you, you have to balance, you know, what do you need? What are you good at? What does the world need as well? So right. there's a lot of things that have to come together. Okay, so we have achieved one thing here today. We have discovered what the secret to human happiness is. <laughs> good job, Johnny Jr. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much Thank for helping us out. Hey, listen, before we go any further, I have to tell you. Today's show has been brought to us by Nola Pens. Look at this pen in my hand. Feel that. Take that pen. It's the only pen made from a fallen Audubon Park live oak tree. They're one-of-a-kind, expertly crafted, limited-edition pens that you can only find at nolapens.com. Isn't it? Right, you can write with it. It's a beautiful yeah. pen. It's a good weight. It so, really is yeah. a great pen. Check it out at nolapens.com. Thanks to the Basics on Magazine Street near Jefferson Avenue, where you can find fine lingerie, and basic swimming gym where you can find a full range of fashion swimsuits, workout and yoga clothes with style. And thank you to the Positive Vibrations Foundation who create and encourage community through the development and preservation of the arts, music, culture and heritage. And if you'd like to become a member of our Happy Hour family, go to patreon.com and search for It's New Orleans Happy Hour. And for as little as $1 a month, you can be a member of our Happy Hour family and get exclusive extra material. And Jonathan, thank you for playing during the course of the show. Didn't You're actually welcome. stop to play a whole song. Didn't stop for a commercial break. So we kind of fucked that up. But I think we had a worthwhile conversation. Absolutely. Great. Great. Yeah. Jonathan Freilich has been here. And Jonathan's opera is called Darling, Forgive Me for What I Wrote. It's at the Peter no, and please Paul. Don't please, please don't be offended. Please don't be offended. Say the title again. Darling, please don't be offended. Please do not be offended at what I wrote. At what I wrote. And it's an operata. It's an operata based on James Joyce's dirty letters to his wife. And, uh, and yes. where do we find information for it? The information for it is on the, there's a Facebook page about it, and there's a Facebook page about the whole Bloomsday thing. You'll find information about it there, and we have a GoFundMe page, and we really need the money because we're supporting great artists, and we really want to do you a great job. We're going to do a good job anyway, but that doesn't would mean be nice it shouldn't to, be supported. It would be nice and to have some cash to pay for it. there's a number of great artists involved, okay. and, uh, and so you can get information there, and you can get information on my website, jonathanfrelick.com, and you can get information, and that's mostly information. All right. Thanks. And we have links to it on our website. It's newworlds.com. As well. Candy, thank you very much for being here. Thanks We're just for having calling me you Candy with a K. Mm -hmm. yep. And we can find out information about you at your Facebook page. And the name of your website is Candy. What it's is it? My, Cocktails and my, Candy. So you can go to my personal page. It's mycandyland.com. Myicandyland.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, with a K. And Dr. John Sawyer, Johnny Jr. has been here as well. Thank you so much. All right. I'll take Thanks care. Thank so you so much for sure. hooking us up with the secret to human happiness. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Pretty, I won't charge you for the hour. So. <laughs> oh, thanks Yay. very much. And we'll put a link to your stuff on our website, too, so we can find you at Austin Hospital. Thanks for being happy hour for another week. The producer of our show is Graham DePonte. Our associate producer is April Stolf. Our music producer is Monique Pyle. And our music consultant is Christian Unruh. Thomas Walsh is our technical director. <laughs> oh, you want to play us out? Okay, sure. yeah, okay. All right, yeah. keep going. Uh, where was I? Our Facebook live feed director who put this whole thing on Facebook is Asher Griffith. If you go to our It's New Orleans Facebook page and you didn't see this, you're watching this, listening to this as a podcast, you can see that all. You can see what we look like. And uh, our fact checker and social media connector and resident critic 
is Andrew Searock. Searock. Our theme music was traditionally written by Mitch Foreman, but today it's being improvised by Jonathan Freilich. If you'd like to be on our show and you can stay upright for about 60 minutes while drinking alcohol, drop us a line. Our address is on our website. It's neworleans.com. You can find many other more happy hours that we've produced previously, as well as some other shows we make around here, including Out to Lunch with Peter Rusciutti, live from Commander's Palace, Louisiana, Eats with Poppy Tooker, and our award-winning podcast about death called Death the Podcast. Have you heard that one, John? I would love that. Check that, that out. It's really interesting. You can also find other great Louisiana podcasts at itsacadiana.com and itsbatonrouge.la. You can keep up with us on a bunch of time-sucking social media, like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and all of it we're called It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our It's New Orleans Facebook page and on Instagram as well. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. If you listen to this on your favorite podcast app, thank you for subscribing to us. Take a moment to rate and review us if you have one. That helps other people find us. If you listen to us on Spotify, you can follow us and get happy hour delivered to you each week. This show is recorded live today at Wayfair on Ferret Street in Uptown New Orleans. Happy Hours of Production of Iron Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Andrew Duhon is out on the road. If you want to find him, you can find him at andrewduhon.com or back here next week. For Andrew, everyone else around the table here at Wayfair and back at our office at Iron Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. I'm Grant Morris. I'll see you back here next week for more Happy Hour. Nice. Oh, my goodness.